0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Have you heard? Did you hear? Have you have you heard? I thought everyone had heard. No, we're not going to do that. No way, we're not going there. But where we will go is to Sinusoid for all our cabling needs. You got a guitar rig. You got instrument cables, you got a pedal board, you got things that need connected. You need to go to Sinusoid. And if you're looking for a top quality instrument cable, you need to check out the Sinusoid Slate. That is their very own proprietary, I shouldn't be saying, I have no business saying that word. I'm not going to say it. Proprietary. Okay, forget it. They've got a great cable, okay? They've designed everything from the amount of capacitance it has to the type of jacket material it has, so the way it slides on stage, the way it feels in your hand, everything about the Slate they designed in-house and is exclusive to them. So go to sinusoid.com and check out the Slate if you want one of the best instrument cables backed by one of the best warranties in the business. a 100 years. They will hook you up. Yes, Sinusoid, they're the best. And if you don't know, time to get familiar. Go to Sinusoid.com. You know what else? I want to talk about something else in this section right here. I want to talk to you about the Tone Mob Patreon. I usually save this plug for the end of the episodes, but since I haven't done one at the beginning, I decided to mix it together. We're going to mix it with another plug right now. So, Tone Mob Patreon, what's that about? Well, you can go there, and it's a place where you can get extra episodes. If you have not heard on these last few episodes, we've kind of plugged it, told you where to go. tonemob.no, No, I did it again. Patreon.com slash ToneMob. We're doing things a little backwards this time. Patreon.com slash ToneMob. You can go there, you can see all the various levels that are available and the different um, rewards that come with signing up for each level. And at the $5 level is kind of the the magic level. That's where you get extra episodes. And what do those extra episodes encompass, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad. We've got a wide range of things there. Um a lot of them are me and my good friend Justin Porter were there shooting the breeze in the shredshed, shed talking about gear, talking about food, talking about all the normal stuff you would expect tone mob people to be talking about because yeah, it's kind of what this show is all about. So you can get some of that. Also, there's additional, um, a little bit extended versions of the podcast. So we've got um, actually this this podcast today with the folks from Strymon. We've got a few extra minutes. I think we got 10, 15 minutes of extra episodes. It's actually on the shorter side. Next week, we'll have, I think, like an additional 45 minutes or more, it, it was long, I just got done recording it today, and it was long uh, with the guys from Electro Foods, and we get into crazy things with robots and, and you know, it, you know, strange Japanese guitars and all kinds of stuff on there, so there's a lot of extra content on the Tone Mob Patreon feed if you're interested, including a really, really excellent extended cut of, not extended cut, additional cut an add-on, if you will, to the episode with Sean Arbo from Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, they sponsored this episode. I mean, they make fantastic products. Sean's an awesome guy, and if you need anything done in your guitar wiring-wise, they're definitely the place to go. Hit up Gun Street Wiring Shop. You'll see what I'm talking about. They've got everything under the sun that you could think of. Sean can make it happen. But what I want to talk to you about is Sean's appearance on... The Tone Mob Patreon was excellent. Um, He really got into some more personal stuff that we didn't talk about on the regular feed episode that he did a while back, and it was really, um, it was really inspiring to me. Honestly, Uh, the way he handled and has kind of mentally handled a very difficult situation was was really, uh, it was really inspiring. So, you want to go check all that out. That is patreon.com slash tone mob at the $5 level every week you get fresh extra tone mob content and if you want the best wiring harnesses in the business you go to gunstreetwiringshop.com and check them out. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Ethan and Pete from Strymon. How's it going, guys?
1: I'm I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks.
0: I'm doing splendid. Doing this thing, that little awkward thing where we have to pretend like we weren't just talking, and then we started recording. Sure. We've
2: never spoken.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ever. Ever. (laughs) Ever. Um... But we haven't actually spoken that much. Actually, uh, quite often I've I've had like several hour conversations with guests sometimes. So this is a little bit fresh for me. So it's sure. uh, it's all good. Um, Definitely. But you know we'll just get started here with the kind of the the basic question. This probably uh, applies to Pete more more so than Ethan. But I want to hear from you too. But um, this usually goes for quite a quite a long time. So. Everybody knows Strymon. They're very well regarded in the industry, obviously. And I think it would be interesting to hear from Pete, like what was kind of your musical backstory and how did that lead into where we are today?
1: Um, Well, I started playing guitar as a uh, young teenager, like many young teenagers teenagers do. And um, I always loved playing guitar like right from the start of when I picked up a guitar. I knew it wasn't just going to be some sort of like, you know, passing fad. And then as I was finishing high school and uh, getting into college or applying for college, I was trying to to figure out what kind of major I wanted to be. And I was always good in math and science. And when I was looking at the names of the courses for electrical engineering, it seemed things like, you know, uh, active filter design and amplifier design. And they weren't specifically guitar amplifiers or things like that but I knew that the connection was hey this is this is the thing to to learn about if you want to you know be interested in uh, doing things that are going to be related to music and you know music electronics and things so I ended up getting a degree in electrical engineering and kind of had a uh, uh, I guess you'd say a you know grown-up job for three years after I got out of college at uh, analog (laughs) devices who uh, are in uh, based in massachusetts but there are actually uh, when i worked there started working there it was actually in the mid 80s and it was before the advent of the you know dsp chip but it turns out now that analog devices is the company that we're using uh, our dsps from but um, that was kind of you know far in the future at that point so i worked there for three years and just kind of always had this uh, and that was back in massachusetts and then i had this um i was this kind of bug in me that i would you know, head out to California someday just to kind of, not with any sort of grand scheme of a plan, just to, you know, head out and see what uh, would happen. So I actually did that, and I came out and went to Musicians, Musicians Institute in Hollywood, uh, which had the uh, guitar program. It was a 12-month program, and I figured I'd just go there and, you know, see what happens. I was, you know, I guess, wanted to explore the possibility of, you know, would it be, you know, any possibility that I'd be able to make, make a living as a guitar player in, in some fashion. And it was a great year and I learned a lot. And what I learned was I wasn't going to make a living as a guitar player, but <laughs> I was already in California and it's like, Oh, this is where a lot of the companies that do this stuff. Uh, this is where they're located. So and again, this is before the internet. So I got my pen and paper and uh, wrote some letters to some companies. And one of the companies was Alesis Electronics, which was in uh, Culver city. And, um, I started working for them in 1989. This was before the ADAT was, uh, you know, was uh, in existence. And uh, I think the, the new product was the Quadriverb had just come out. I don't know if these these old uh, products mean anything <laughs> to you, but... Oh, yeah, was, they do. Definitely. Yeah, it, was very, uh, it was legendary. It was quite yeah, quite an exciting time. Um, uh, and that's kind of, that got me into this industry. So that was darn close to 30 years ago. So I've, <laughs> I've been... You, you know started working for them and then have been in the industry and um you know ever since then until uh in uh that's you know got me you know once once you're in this industry it's like you don't want to go out of it because then especially having worked in kind of you know other uh, more serious industries you realize it's a it's kind of a unique combination of uh um
2: you don't have to wear pants basically the, you to yeah, work. <laughs> the, yeah the,
1: the the environment and the kind of i guess the 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 whole attitude of of the industry just you know really suited me right from the start so uh so I'm still here and, and now we're here
0: yep I know exactly what you mean i <laughs> i I recently have gotten to be full time in the industry myself and I'm like, what was I doing this is <laughs> so much better so yeah. much better yeah. um but so. Can you maybe you can clarify this for me? Because I honestly am a little bit ignorant to it. Although I I have a Facebook group based around this podcast, and there were some people asking questions when I told them you guys were coming on the show. Um what's, what's the as much as you can tell me? You know, I know there's certain things you can't talk about with with uh, certain topics, but what is the damage control, Striman? What how did that kind of evolve? What's what's the what's the story there?
2: Well, we started off as damage control. Um, Back in 2004, yeah. So um, it was Greg, Pete, and Dave essentially that um, that started that out, um, and made some two two base products. And you know they sold they sold okay. Um, There were a few things we learned from that experience, um, and some of it was okay. We got to make these things a little bit smaller. We got to make them more efficient. Um, You know, and while while all that was going while all that was going on, you know, we're learning new things about um, DSP. Um, so in 2008, um, we decided to basically kind of take a fresh start and, uh, rebrand, uh, Strymon. And that is some, that's when we decided to, you know, obviously release our, I think we started off with Obi-Wan and blue sky and orbit Ola and El Capistan right around that time. Um, you know, it was just it was a good opportunity to to kind of take a look at what what we had done in the past and really just kind of give it a, a fresh face. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, we started out with just a few people, and now now there's a quite a few people working here now that are all helping us um, get these products out into the world.
0: Cool, cool. Now I should have uh, I jumped ahead of probably what, where I should have. Uh, why don't we go back a step and let you, Ethan, kind of. Tell us, uh, tell your version of that story and then we'll come back to what you were just talking about. That was my mistake.
2: Um, I mean, my story was similar in a way where I, you know, I, I started off, um, for me, it was kind of recording. I had a four track recorder back when I was in high school and I used to record all these silly songs. I rush home from school and, and I'd, I'd have a drum set. I'd have, you know, guitar, bass, you know, I would sing and just try to record as much as possible. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of before I could afford a pro tools rig. So it was all on cassette.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but from there, you know, I, I think after I graduated from high school, I, you know, I went to college for music and then I figured, okay, how am I going to actually turn this into something where I can make some money? Um, you know, I, I, am not like a great musician. I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. I can, my, I would call my instrument songwriting. That's kind of what I do. Um, but I'm not like a great guitar player. I'm not a great singer. Um, it's all about kind of crafting a song. Um, so I came out to California figuring, okay, well, this is where a lot of this stuff is happening. Um, and I quickly re- quickly realized same as Pete that, ah, uh, you know what? I don't think I want to struggle. I don't think I want to be a struggling musician. I want to make music. I want but I want to be able to survive and pay my mortgage. So right. um, I ended up getting a job. Um, at Line Six, and I was there for a very long time, and I learned a lot about um, this industry and you know product development and marketing, and and I also realized that uh, you don't need a degree to really kind of market these products. You just have to have a really good understanding of what understanding of musicians and what people like to do and how you can inspire people. Um, so I dropped out of college and um, never went back, and uh, here we are, a few years later at Strymon and now it's it's kind of nice because I can for me I can uh, still record uh, music for for work you know if we have a new video or something like that coming out I can record here and make songs and record guitar clips and that kind of stuff so that's kind of my my path to uh to where uh, I am now
0: so you guys have both been been with it for you know basically since the beginning sounds like or really close to it
2: i joined I joined um the team. Right around 2010, right before we released El Capistan. But okay, obviously, gotcha. yeah, Pete's been here. Maybe you were here yeah. like week three or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much right from the from the start. Yeah, yep,
0: right from the start. So was there? You sent so Pete. You said you went to school for um, you know electronic and en- engineering. Is do you find that I I you know through talking to a lot of people, there seems to be guys that are very good in the analog realm. And guys, that strength more lies in the DSP. Strymon is mainly known for DSP-based stuff. Was there much of a curve there for uh, getting into that, or was it like a fairly easy transition or workaround for that? For that.
1: Well, I had um, been exposed like my background, you know, from from school in the early days. I was was uh, analog, but it was actually um, you know working at um, at analog devices. I was. You know they they make semiconductors, so I was actually like involved in the teams that were doing the, the layout and the design on the transistor level of, of these uh, chips. So when I started working for Elisa's, it was a nice fit because they were doing um, they were doing their own custom. They were called ASICs, application specific ICs. It was very um, forward thinking. No one else in the industry that I knew of certainly at that time was doing that. Because again, this was before DSPs were actually, you know, something that existed. You, you you basically you would have to get a whole bunch of logic logic chips to put these crazy systems together. That's why they were like on these huge circuit boards. But um, Elise's was actually doing their own uh, design of custom uh, integrated circuits. So that's what I did at Elisis. and um, uh, I was working closely closely with Keith Barr, who is was the uh, uh, owner of Alesis. Um and uh, he was really a—I guess a, you know—I would—I I re- don't use the term lightly—but I'd say he was a genius and, and a visionary in his own right, and just uh, you know a great mentor. And uh, one of the projects we were working on was making uh, our own A to D and D to A converters, you know, integrated mm-hmm. circuits, and that in itself kind of entails some uh, fairly uh, involved. Um, signal processing to uh, take, uh, you know, I, I won't go into the details, but it was, it was actually, that was where I learned uh, quite a bit about some of the, the concepts of signal processing. And it was um, a really, uh, you know, an interesting way to do it because as I was learning about it, I was actually, you know, designing these circuits on a, um, it, you could think of a circuit board might have like four layers or so where you've got, you know, some traces on the top and the bottom and some, some sandwiched in the middle. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, an integrated circuit is like a 15 or 16-layer circuit board, and there's, you know, rules and things. So, you know, it all kind of came together along with the the signal processing um, to, uh, you know, to give me a a good foundation. And then um, I I started working at Line 6 in 2000, and um, when I got there, they didn't have a specific project, but I had known um, the guys at Line 6 uh, had worked closely with... uh, a for a number of projects. So they knew me and uh, when I started working for them, they said, Hey, we don't really have a, you know, anything like exactly that, you know, for you to do, other than we've got this idea of making a, a guitar. That's kind of like our amplifiers guitar that can sound like other guitars. And they said, if you're interested, you know, you can kind of just get started doing some research. And I said, sure, that sounds fun. And uh, it was really just wide open. It was just like a, a blank piece of paper. They weren't telling me what to do or how how to do it, so I had a kind of a you know a lot of stuff to figure out, but also the resources of you know the smart people that were also working there uh, at Line Six. So, you know, I learned you know, it basically you know, like I said, I started I started in this industry in 1989. So you can get you can learn a lot by osmosis over the course of you know a decade decades you know or more. So um, it. it along with a you know, good fundamental background in electronics that I got from college, um, which was, is still very important to kind of understand the basic concepts, you know, from, uh, from that level. Um, I've just slowly absorbed over time and continue to absorb, you know, new concepts and things. But um, so when we started uh, uh, damage control, you know, the idea was, okay, let's, Let's use these analog devices, processors, and let's you know if we write the code in C, it uh, it allows for you know very uh, fast kind of prototyping, and um, you, you know it allows for a lot of creativity because you could just um, almost you know, at a high level you just kind of put these ideas down in code and then and then listen to them you know directly in real time. So that was uh, that was how you know. I, It kind of, it's kind of evolved slowly, but I didn't have to try to like go from being an analog guy to just learning how to be a DSP guy. But then at the same time, we have Greg Stock, who's our analog guy, who is, you know, I don't know if you're going to find a, you know, more, uh, more accomplished analog guy, you know, in this industry than he is. And, um, you know, so along with our, you know, digital processing, which gets maybe a little more of the the limelight of, of here's how things, you know, might be a little more glamorous uh, to, talk about creating the sound that way but you know the the signal to noise ratio and the signal path and fidelity and all that kind of stuff that's where analog engineering comes in and um you know and greg makes sure that we're kind of at the uh the forefront in terms of you know that kind of performance as well
0: yeah you certainly can't you know you can have the greatest uh the greatest uh, dsp processing in the world but if the analog circuitry surrounding it uh makes it filtered and sound like garbage, then it's not really going to do any good. So exactly correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They both have to be, they both have to be working right. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, was there other than like just the branding and, and all that stuff was, was it a like very conscious shift to go from the damage control vacuum tube type thought process where, now, like Strymon is obviously very known for its DSP, like that's what is kind of praised about the company. Was that just like we'll try this and see what happens, or did you guys kind of look ahead and go, yeah, this is where the industry's going, this is where we need to we need to be the guys?
1: Um, a little of, of both, but I mean, one of the the for our damage control products, um, the last couple that we did were the damage control timeline and the damage control glass nexus now. But so the timeline was a big green delay and it still had two vacuum tubes. One was a, a tube buffer on the input into the DSP and then a tube buffer on the way out. But the actual processing inside, that was really the genesis for, you know, a lot of what has become Strymon, um you know, that, as we know it today. That, that product was really, you know, a great testing ground of, um, of the way that we, uh, you know, kind of approach the, the whole DSP thing, and, and uh, you know the way we, uh, our workflow, um, and just you know the continued ideas that, um, you know, that we have developed. Uh, so it, it really is kind of an ongoing process. I think the, the more conscious thing was to say, you know, look, the tubes, the tubes are, are cool, and um, and you know. It, but the problems they present are it requires uh you know a power supply that's not conventional it adds weight um you know our, i don't know what the damage control pedal's weight i don't know how many pounds they were but you know they're big and they weighed a, <laughs> they weighed a chunk you know we and you know we you know occasionally we'd see people come in and they'd have you know one of our two preamps and uh maybe one of the we had a distortion you would kind of a three, you know, series of pedals. And if someone had, you know, three of our pedals on their pedal board, it's like, well, that's, that's kind of a beast of a pedal board. And, you know, we, at that point, we realized that, you know, we, you really have to take into consideration, you know, space and weight and just, you know, ease of, of, uh, um, you know, mounting and power, you know, uh, support and those kind of things. So, um, you know, it was, it was a continuation of what we've been doing along with some conscious efforts to say let's let's really make these pedals that are, you know are going to really just be nice to put on your board and not create a, you know a, a different kind of problem for for people
0: mhm for sure for sure and i would say that that's uh that's been well accomplished i have a deco, okay. and i really really oh, nice, like nice. It. so <laughs> i think that's my i i don't know if i mean you guys would know better than me but i feel like that one doesn't get enough like love well, I think that's, that's the coolest pedal. I love it.
2: That's that's a tough one because I think for a lot of people, you know, you you have a set type of pedal that you you're aware of and that you understand what they do. Okay, you know what a delay is. You know what a chorus is. You know what a <clears throat> overdrive is. But and it was, and I'll admit this was this was a tough one for us to market too because we're trying to create sort of something that didn't really exist in pedal form before. Um, and it does a lot of things, but it's, and it's a very unique thing that's kind of hard to explain in words. You sort of have to experience it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it definitely was a, it was a challenge for us to, to get the word out and maybe it is, I, I'd say it's probably a little bit underrated. Um, but yeah, cause you can get um, everything from um, tape flanging to tape chorusing to uh, e- slapback slapback echoes and, and delays and, and all the saturation and, and all the juicy goodness that goes along with with tape.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I mean, I think the tricks that it, it can pull off are, are, like you said, really unique. And I, I, uh, I played one at Nam and it was basically like, Oh, I'm buying one of these. <laughs> like, this is, this is like, I played all of them. I thought they were all good. Um, but that one, for some reason, I just like, yeah, i got to get one of these when I get home. Sweet. This, is, yeah. this is my jam.
2: It's definitely one of those pedals that you kind of have to try it. I mean, I, I think it's because because it can do a lot, and and uh, I think once you once you see like the the flexibility and versatility of it, you'll be like, oh, oh, I totally get it
1: now. And it's got the cool auto flange when you. Oh yes, the, uh... auto
2: flange, mm-hmm. and I I use it for some weird stuff. I I have it, I use it in kind of a weird way. I put it after my reverbs, um, and I turn up the wobble like a lot because I like sort of the very seasick kind of eighties VHS kind of degraded sound so if you're looking to try something a little odd
0: put it after your delays it's pretty weird i will i've never i've oh, not sorry, tried it that before yeah <laughs> that's interesting very interesting
2: it, so, yeah, you, so, you might not like it but that's i just i, I think yeah.
0: it's pretty cool i'll give it a try <laughs> um i like to use it as a slapback with a ton of saturation um mm-hmm. but just a but uh, a lot of dry signal so it's just kind of there Right, like it right. just adds this character to it that's just really nice on dirty or clean guitars, I think it's pretty cool, but Sweet. awesome. Um, since we're talking specific uh specific products i I would like to ask you guys about your uh your dirt boxes um because not too many people are making d s p based dirt, and I think there's a lot of misinformation or at least not maybe not misinformation, but people don't quite understand what is going on with those. So maybe you guys can talk in d- a little more detail about those pedals and, and kind of uh, explain, explain uh, what the, what is actually going on with them.
1: Well, the, um, one of the things that we wanted to do, we know that, you, you know, there's so many things that go into a, in the equation of a, of a good dirt pedal and sometimes it's hard to, Quantify, but certainly, you know, if you just talk about feel, I think you know most guitar players will have some sort of you know you know nod their head, yeah, yeah okay, feel that you know what you are talking about, even if it's hard to you know go into a detailed description of it. But along those ends, um, Greg, our analog uh, uh, designer, uh, designed a variable gain JFET discrete JFET preamp that is at the start of the signal chain of of both Sunset and Riverside and it's a uh, digitally controlled analog uh, gain circuit so that when you turn the drive knob up you're actually increasing the analog gain and the signal flow in you know as defined in the uh, in the signal processor so it's a it's kind of a, a you could almost think of it as a dual ganged pot in a sense there's a you know, this, the driving stage that's feeding into the DSP and then the DSP uh, is also adding its gain. But that goes, um, we found that that was an, an important part of, um, you know, of getting the, the kind of response and, and tone that we wanted. Um, and then beyond that, there's, uh, I guess, a lot of other, you know, things that happen in the DSP if there's any more, like, um, I don't know, if, if you have a you know, a specific question, but I mean, beyond that, it's, you know, we we did a, we used a technique that we really spent a lot of time on to create uh, just really the um, widest, most harmonically rich, you know, overdrive that um, I think if you're not thinking about analog, hopefully, hopefully, you know, the, the, the goal was, and I, I personally believe we achieved it was that it's it's a drive sound that that really is not um you know you're not thinking about digital or anything it's just it's it's a you know it's it's traditional drive that that the means of achieving it is you know we didn't want that to be part of the equation it's just how we do it so that we can have the control and the flexibility uh you know that that we want so we could really craft the sounds but um you know we didn't you know we weren't interested in trying to make some sort of statement about digital distortion or whatever it's like hey, we want to make a good drive pedal you know that the, the how we do it is, is kind of that's that's behind the scenes we don't want that to be the focus of, of of what what we've done
0: yeah that makes sense that that uh it also makes sense in how how you guys presented them i think it was just a somewhat of a unavoidable uh thought process for most people like oh they make these great digital effects but very few people make a good digital drive, you know. And I know that's not 100% what it is, but it's a little bit unavoidable when, when we're talking about a company like Strymon, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and we, we realized that it, that it would be. And that's why we, you know, in a
1: sense, we had to, you know, almost, uh, you know, try extra hard to, to because we knew that that, you know, is going to be something that well, would be kind of obvious. Yeah, and I think
2: that's one of the reasons, you know, we've, we've been making pedals is under the Stryman name since 2008 or nine. That's why it took us until, you know, two years ago to come up with a drive pedal, because this is something we've been thinking about for a very long time. And it's not like we can just come out there and, and, um, and not have really thought it through and really thought through like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to make, you know, a drive pedal that's just, that's just amazing. Like regardless if it's, if it's analog or digital.
0: Right, right, right. So now that you've broken the ground on on the drive and distortion, you know, is there any plans for like maybe a fuzz? Because that's kind of my thing.
2: It's it's possible, you know. I guess I have to maybe just recite the the standard, uh, you know, we tell you we're have to kill you, or you know, this, you know, we can't give it. You know, essentially, it's it's possible, you know. I think with anything that we do, we just want to make sure that we can bring something new to the table and then a, a different approach and not just, you know, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's not, um, I mean, there's a lot of fuzz pedals out there. So, you know, what, what can we do that isn't just like every other fuzz pedal and, but it's not so different that you're like, Oh, what the heck is that? So it's sort of like really looking at fuzzes and, and, and trying to, you know, trying to come up with what we think is, is, uh, going to be unique. Um, so yeah, yeah, it,
0: it's possible. It's a very. That's a very, uh, very political. Very political answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's why I answered. It. Yes. Yeah,
2: leave it to the marketing guy
0: to give a non-answer. I figured that as much. I, <laughs> I know marketing guys. Uh, <laughs> I am one. So, yes. uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about the let's talk about the magneto because that's something that I just looked at and went, you know what? That's I'm not smart enough for that. So, um, and I feel like a lot of people sort of felt similarly but maybe if we hear it straight from the horse's mouth we can i'm looking at a picture of it right now we can uh kind of uh understand and get our head around it a little bit better because it looks fascinating but also scary
1: um so yeah the idea behind magneto is it's so it's a multi-head delay and that's so the, the four knobs kind of in the center are that are the uh the levels for each head and then the uh, buttons uh, underneath them engage feedback so what you have is you have a multi a a delay that has an independent control of the heads the playback heads and the feedback heads and that idea stems from uh there was a benson uh, i forget the model number 603 maybe that had these like radio buttons so you could get any combination of but radio buttons for the heads and for the play the the feedback the playback and the feedback independently so you end up with actually 256 combinations of settings that way so i mean if you think of the benson that most people think of it's got the four knobs going across the middle and one of them is the the selector knob where you've got 12 different arrangements of of head combinations well if you have independent Playback and feedback buttons. Instead of twelve, you have two hundred and fifty-six. So that flexibility, you know, was kind of the idea from for the start of Magneto, um, along with um, I guess the, the real start of it came from our D-tape algorithm, which was you know first featured in El Capistan. So mm-hmm. we said, okay, we're going to do this for the Eurorack synth market, and you know. Uh, your Accent, guys, it's all about flexibility, uh, possibilities, features. So we're like, okay, you know, 256, um, in fact, actually, since since we don't have uh, buttons, we actually have knobs for the, the delays. You could have, you know, it's actually more than 256, but let's just call it 256. But we know right, the Accent guys, right. yeah, we, we didn't want to limit options uh, for them. So we've got this, you know, multi-head delay. But then the top knob is the speed knob, and that actually is—it works identically to a very speed-like tape machine. It's got a uh, eight-to-one range, um, so it's like a three-octave range in a sense. Uh, if, if I'm not getting uh, gonna, you know, make anyone's head explode, uh, you know, a factor <laughs> of two is an octave, so a factor of four is two octaves, and a factor of eight is three octaves. So one of the unique things about Magneto is. By changing that speed knob, you're also, in effect, you're changing the pitch of whatever is in the delay. And then it kind of opens up possibilities for Magneto to be an instrument in itself where, you know, of course, this is in the Eurorack world. You've got control voltage, one volt per octave. And now Magneto can actually play sequences. You can freeze notes in it and then pitch the notes by changing the speed knob. Um, So it, it really it added a, a whole nother dimension of this beyond being a delay. Um, but at the heart of it is, it is a delay, but it's um, it's just kind of a very expanded um, uh, machine in a sense. And then the, the bottom row of, of, of knobs are the more traditional, like the L-cap users would recognize as, you know, wow and flutter and tape crinkle and, you know, low cut and, um, and tape age. And we've got the spring reverb is you know independent knob. So because it was for the Eurorack market, we're like, okay, yep, features are always appreciated there. Like even even what you might think is like, well, that's too much. Is like, nah, let's let's try it. So we have those four buttons are double duty uh, as transport controls. So there's uh, you know uh, pause and, and reverse. Uh, uh, there's an infinite hold. Uh, you know, restart when the deck is paused, you can, uh, the speed knob becomes a scrub control. The, uh, the pause can, can have mechanical slow down effects. So he's like, and then, you know, back up. And and, and then (laughs) there's a, a, a tape, a head knob that changes it. We've got a mode called shift where it's almost like if you had a four track tape, and each one of the tracks, if you slice the tape like lengthwise along the, the tape, so each one of those heads can run independent at different speeds, that's what we have there. And it does some interesting things if you've looked at some of our demos where you can get these interesting like double-speed playbacks that are like rhythmically and synchronized to the input. And um, it really just took a life on its own, starting with, let's go with El Kabakhstan and add some more heads. And then it really was, um, how about this? How about this? How sure. about this? How about this? How about this? And, you know, we never said no. We just kept throwing it in there. So, <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, it was, uh, it was so it turned out like it did. And it's, uh, uh, it's been well received by the uh, Urarak community. And we're happy because, you know, uh, that's, you know, we, we have a lot of fun, uh, you know, with, with that stuff over here. And, you know, it's, Open to continue, yeah, and and as
2: well. And I think that uh, in general, I I've found that most Dryman customers are sonically adventurous, Um, but when it comes to the Eurorack crowd, um, the people that are making that kind of music, I've 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 seen a lot of more experimental stuff going on in that in that scene. So, like Pete said, I think a lot of these additional features that kind of make it look a little bit um, scary are are. Are things that people are are inviting, are, are, are you know they're they're inviting those types of features, um, so yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The the Eurowet rack thing, I've uh, I've threatened to get into it for for a few years now, and I keep restraining myself because I'm already <laughs> addicted to pedals, and uh, I feel like that would just be even more dangerous somehow with the uh, with everything those guys going on. But you're right; they they do seem to like the the kit- you know kitchen sink approach right. to things a little bit more they want they want to be able to get you know be able to manipulate everything about everything um i've yeah. seen i've seen a lot of i mean like the 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 standard thing when I see a, a synth guy who is interested in a pedal they're just like well does it have control voltage input like right right <laughs> sure well
2: and and um we actually a few years ago. Introduced a prototype at Nam called Generalissimo, which was sort of um, the, the predecessor to Magneto, and we got a lot of good feedback from um, some uh, some uh, Eurorack players, and we learned that okay, yes, um, it needs a lot more CV control mm-hmm. than we had. Uh, we re- we rethought a lot of some of the features. Um, uh, and it overall just made it a much better product and you know a lot of that was due to the feedback that we received and you know this is a the reason why it took us we've been asked to do Eurorack products for a very long time as well and it's kind of the same thing as the drives we wanted to just make sure we're entering this new arena with a different different type of player and we just wanted to make sure that we did it right the first time and not you know, we, we want to, we want to be part of this new community and, and show that we're actually listening to them and, and really understand what they want.
0: Right. Right. That makes sense. So, so then I, I take it based on, on all that, that you're, you're thinking about more products for that, uh, those guys as well for that, for that market.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Yes. Interesting. Yeah, They, they seem to have, you know, we've gotten a, a, I guess,
1: an encouraging reception from, from Magneto that, uh, you know, I guess if everyone was like, "Oh, this is terrible," they'd <laughs> just put our tail between our legs. But no, uh, it, it's um, it's been well received, and uh, yeah, we we think there's we think there's some more cool things that uh, that we could uh, bring to it.
0: Cool, cool. I'll be uh, very excited to see some of that. Um, yeah, great. So, what does a you know what does a day look like uh, around the office? I'm sure you guys it's a it's a lot different for both of you so I guess you can each take that question and uh, and go with it but whoever wants to start
2: well mine's probably not as interesting as Pete so I can go first uh, yeah.
0: you know a lot of it for me is is just
2: um, you know we have uh, Angela and Jack here are part of the social media teams so we spent we spend a lot of time um, in in the marketing like listening to what people are playing Pe- listening to what people are doing what they're what kind of music they're you know what, now that I'm talking about that, this is actually pretty damn interesting. um,
0: uh,
2: You know, like there's so many good, so many amazing artists that we hear using our gear and we always love to, to see how our gear inspires people. So that's what, that's like part of my motivation is just making sure that we're, you know, when, when Pete, Greg and Dave and, and every, all the engineers have a great idea that, I can, I can make, I can tell a story about the product that gets people inspired and excited and wanting to, um, wanting to make music with it. Cause really the, at the end of the day, you know, it, it sounds cheesy, but we, that's really what we want. We want people to be able to take our gear and, and be inspired by it and make, make great music. So, um, when people, uh, post clips to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, we listen to everything. If you've, if you've, Tagged Strymon or you've hashtag Strymon, it's been listened to by one of us here. So it's not like it's just going into the ether and nobody's hearing it. We we want to hear this stuff, and you know we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, curating lists of of stuff that we post to our blog and reposting to Instagram and um, and that kind of thing. So a lot of my day is you know really looking at the gear that we're we're working on. Crafting stories that get people inspired and excited and just, can, you know, closing that feedback loop so we can we can continue to see what what our customers are doing with it.
0: Yeah, that makes that uh, makes yeah.
1: sense. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, a typical day. Uh, I've got a pretty good gig over here where I'm either playing guitar or. Checking out gear. I mean, that's that's what I do. You know, um, so I play guitar probably three hours a day now. Um, Does that
2: actually improve your guitar playing? Faith?
1: No, because I, I play <laughs> the same thing all over and over. I'm sure much the chagrin of everyone. You know, unfortunately, and I I don't really work well with headphones. I, I you know, I can't do much critical listening with headphones. It just kind of like tweaks with me. So I've. You know, I'm playing through amps or, um, you know, or through, you know, stereo direct or, or whatever, but um, I'm usually making some noise. So uh, the guys in the office have, you know, learned to adapt, which is which is nice. But um, it, it's really cool. Like I, I generally kind of whatever, you know, whatever I feel. I mean, I guess most of most of the Stryman product line is are, you know, things that I've found interesting to do over the years that they kind of turn into, you know, into products. Um, And sometimes the products are a little more planned out, like we're going to do with this or that, but, you know, a surprising amount of them just kind of come out uh, of the process of just experimenting. And we've got, you know, from that standpoint, we've got a whole bunch of things that aren't, haven't been in products yet that maybe could be, but you know, you can't just, you can't just take an algorithm and just say it's a product, you know, it, it a product has to make sense. So, you know, a lot of what I do also kind of becomes like, you know, experiments that go into the library of, you know, you, someday, you know, this might, you know, be, uh, be useful somewhere, but um, I'm pretty much, you know, playing my guitar and, and, and changing numbers and, you know, making curves and, and doing things that, You know that I think hopefully are going to turn into something that sounds good, um, until uh, until you get a consensus that hey, this actually you know this is going to go somewhere, and um, you know that's it's kind of the way it's been been. I've been I haven't had to be too disciplined so far, which is nice (laughs) because that's not my strong point. Um, So uh, it's uh, you know it, it works well for me, but I'm I'm just always kind of experimenting with with sounds and algorithms and, and, um, you know, you have to play guitar and, 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 you know, try it out to, to see how you're doing. So it's really, those two things are the bulk of, of, of my days for the most part. Yeah.
0: Has when you're doing that process and kind of just messing about with, with sound and what, and whatnot, um, have you ever, has any of your products been like Like, you kind of, like, had a, like, I wonder if this harebrained idea is going to work, and then it was like, wow, this is way cooler than I thought, and now here it's a thing. Um, Anything Uh, in particular strike you that way? Let's see. Um, Yes,
1: um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I have any specific examples, but, um, you know, some some of the things we do that are just well, like say the destroyer algorithm on, uh, on Mobius, if you're familiar with that or the Mm -hmm. quadrature algorithm, those were, um, you know, a lot of that was just kind of experimenting and, you know, they're based on some, you know, mathematical constructs that the quadrature is, but like just kind of putting the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you have a lot of liberty to, to, you know, um, make decisions in terms of, well, how am I going to, you know, how will I create this stereo field? You know, what what do I want to do or in the destroyer? Hey, let's make some like lo-fi filters. And then you just start, you know, kicking around some ideas and then, um, you know, or the, the record. um, So if you're familiar specifically with Mobius, there's a, a a vinyls, what do we call it? Uh, Just vinyl. Is that
2: vinyl, or what do we call it? No, it's just
1: vinyl. I think it's a, it's a parameter in the, the destroyer that, that um, will give you like record scratch, uh, effects, um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, pops and cracks. And that turns out, you know, no one cares, uh, how I do it or whatever, but (laughs) it's like, it's, it's not just a loop. It's not just a, like, Oh, we recorded some stuff. It's a very, uh, uh, fairly sophisticated, uh, you know, sequence of random events that are, you know, weighted and filtered in, in, in a such a way that would, you know, correspond to the, the gaps of the, you know, the, the discontinuity in the vinyl um, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a polarizing feature because some people seem to really not like it. I remember, i always remember someone's comment was, I would like this product better if that wasn't in there. But at the same time, it's like I think, wow, that is really cool, and um, I probably think it's cooler than any, cooler than anyone else. But that was kind of a you know a thing like, oh, hey, um, destroyer. Okay, let's have a record, um, you know, a scratchy record uh, uh, thing, and um, you know, I listened I had this. You know, one of these old plastic, uh, I don't even know where it came from, like a 45, a plastic 45, mm-hmm. I put it on a turntable because, you know, it was like really bad because, you know, it's probably been used as a Frisbee or something. Cool. And you just get to like listen to it and you just think like, OK, so I want to recreate that. But, I, you know, in a way that's, um, uh, you, you know, got some, some realism to it. And then also there's uh, in that you, you, there's an RPM um, in a record warp generator and the scratches, uh, also have a tendency to you know uh, at once per revolution. but again, it's not the same thing. It's just that the um, the random processes are weighted to say hey you're 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 running your record at seventy eight rpm so it's you know once per revolution, there's this area of the record that's scratchier than the others and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm sure I've talked longer about this record uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably well, this will be the longest ever, but uh, it uh,
2: I do remember when, <laughs> when when you you finally came up with that. I'm like this is the coolest. Thing. I don't know if you said it was the coolest thing you've ever done, but
1: but it was. You were very excited about yeah, it. <laughs> I was more so. Well, and then when you when you pair that with some of the filters that are also in the destroyer, that's when you really kind of get you know when it kind of really sells it even better. So anyway, that's th- those those algorithms. So I guess to get back to when you're saying other things that are just kind of wacky, and you know it, it turns out to be something. Those are the the fun ones that are just kind of like, I guess you could say, purely creative in a sense. You, you're not necessarily trying to, you know, capture something that's that exists, but you're just trying to, you know, just create some some sounds that are cool. So that's those are the ones that I actually probably enjoy the most.
0: Right, that makes sense. So it it is it is kind of a a fun thing to do. The the whole like, I kind of I people have heard this before, but like. Almost every night I come out to my music room and I get a bunch of pedals out and I, I basically try to make new sounds um, and just see what I can create. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you kind of do that except you're doing it with code.
1: Like, that, that's exactly right. That, that's, that's a very good analogy. It's just like a, a blank piece of paper that you can uh, try to see what you, can, uh, what you can come up with.
0: What kind of music do you listen to that gets you inspired to create things?
1: Um, I'm kind of a, I guess I'd say a little bit older school guy. Um, you know, I've got in my office, uh, a, uh, poster of, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Bandit Gypsies, his, uh, concert in, uh, 1969. And, uh, just some of the sounds, he, he was just such an amazing player. Um, so he's probably, he's like, tied for number 1 on my list and the other and the other guy is Jeff Beck who I've always just thought is so unique has such a different approach to guitar and still continues to be an amazing player um so you know in my younger days i used to a lot more actively listen to i guess what you you know call fusion um these days i listen to it um still some but um you know it's, it's really kind of going back to those, like you know, Jeff Beck Wired uh, is probably you know, maybe my favorite album. Um, so you know, the it's generally guitar oriented uh music that you know I, I listen to something that um, big Pink Floyd fan as well. Um, Stevie Ray Vaughn, so that's uh, that's the kind of stuff I listen to. I guess you know, I don't know if, you, if that's old man music or not, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's sort of timeless, <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I like what yeah. you said.
2: I say mean, timeless I, yeah, I was in mean, the timeless.
0: I think they're timeless classics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, especially Floyd. Especially yeah, Pink Floyd.
2: And you were pretty excited when you when you heard that uh, Jeff Beck was the starman. Oh yeah, user. That was a pretty big, pretty yeah. big day.
0: Yeah,
1: for uh, yeah, he, for us he used year. it uh, on the uh, the tribute to Les Paul uh, tour he did a few years back. Uh, he was using uh, El Capistan um, on that tour, and yeah, I was um, pretty excited when we. Uh, when we uh, heard about that, it's like, wow, he's he's the guy.
0: Is there anybody else that uh, took you by surprise? I mean, you got a lot of stuff out there in the world. There's probably a lot of well-known artists that are... Well, I know there's a lot of well-known artists that are using your products. Is there anybody else, like Jeff Beck, that you were just like, whoa, kind of fanboying a little bit? Um,
1: well, I know John Mayer uh, uses our David stuff. David Gilmore probably, was using for a while, yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's, yeah, so that's always hard to tell. Some, <laughs> some of that some of that
2: stuff, it's like you know, we, we don't, um, you know, a lot of people just buy the, buy the gear and use it, we don't know, uh, you I know, mean, we find out later because
1: people contacted us, but yeah. we're not quite sure okay. that, you know, you know, we like to give everyone their privacy, and you know, sure, and so uh, it's like that you know, we're never like that one, we didn't get any kind of definitive, sure,
2: yeah, and we don't really. We don't really do, um, artist stuff the way, you know, we don't really like traditional arrangements with, with bands. It's just sort of, a lot of times we'll, we'll just find out if they're using it.
1: I was watching, um, it was the Foo Fighters. Uh, they had this series of, uh, like, I think there were one hour shows that they were doing where they were recording at kind of landmark, uh, Studios across yes. the United States. Yes. And, 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 that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. In advance. So they were in, I think they were in Chicago. And, uh, so they're, they're in the studio and they I forget what song they're tracking. And, and they kind of, you know, it's just got them, you know, they're, they're all kind of hanging out in the studio and, you know, got some ideas and they're riffing and, then, um, uh, drummer, um, uh, drawing a blank here, uh,
2: Dave Grohl? Probably
1: Dave Grohl, again. yeah. Sorry. sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Dave Grohl. The, the guy. So Dave oh, that Grohl, guy? Who's yeah, I've never heard of him. So Dave Grohl, uh, uh, he's talking to uh, the guitar player, Pat Smear, and he yep. says, um, he's like, oh, yeah, could you? I want to, like, get some sort of freak-out sound. And, you know, he just starts, like, kind of going crazy and making some sort of noises. And then, they, then they, the camera sh- points down to Pat's board. And it has got he had a, a Lex and maybe something else. I had no idea. In, but you know, I'm watching it on my big screen TV, and it's like,
2: oh, bam! There like we a, are. A
1: nice high def. Like, was like, whoa, hey! I had no idea, but that was, you know, kind of nice to see that just kind of off the cuff. So it's yeah. always, always fun.
2: I was also pretty excited um, when uh, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead started using a timeline. That's right. That was a pretty big thing for me. I, would, you know, OK Computer was one of my all time favorite albums, and it was super cool to to see, you know, him using playing on some playing live at Santa Barbara bowl with that's where we saw them to see, to see him using timeline on these songs that I, you know, listened to years ago and, and actually being able to, to hear, to pick out different algorithms like, Oh, okay, he's using a, he's using ice <laughs> delay right now. That was, that was pretty, pretty rad.
0: That, yeah, that, that had to have been just trippy, trippy stuff. Yeah, that was great. That's just cool.
2: knowing that one of, one of my idols was using a product that I had a hand in in creating was pretty cool.
0: That's really awesome. That's got to be like some part of the uh, or some of the most rewarding moments of being in this business. I I would imagine,
2: definitely for sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Well, we're getting pretty close to that hour mark, and I've got I've got one more question. It's it's the most important question that I ask guests, but it's it's part of. um, It's hard to say. It's a little bit controversial sometimes, and some people you know get really worked up about it, and. You've both gotta answer it. So it's okay. it's a little bit of a yeah. It's a uh you're sitting down, right? Uh
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh what kind of pizza do you like?
2: I can't answer that question. I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm leaving. Uh, we we I'm sorry, we this can't air then. No, Just can't air no, this episode. I'm gonna slam the microphone down on the table.
0: <laughs> I got bets we got bets going on in the Facebook group about okay. it. Right okay. For so. me it's it's cheese.
2: I just like plain old cheese pizza.
1: Oh, if cheese pizza. Yeah, if, if well, I had to pick...
0: Corey, well, you were right.
2: Oh, oh. Stuff. <laughs> oh, and also, also <laughs> I should say, I prefer New York style. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Chicago style. I, I'm going to probably piss off a lot of people, but I. That's I, it's not really pizza to me. That's just, to me, my personal opinion um,
1: you're right. This is a controversial topic. Yeah, it is. It, it is. Like it gets places. it gets it gets heated sometimes. Lines be drawn here. Yes. <laughs> um, I I do agree with the New York, and I think it's just you know just a. Well, I grew up in the Boston area, and it wasn't New York pizza, but yeah. Um, I guess you know, but we had the. Uh, I guess everyone is also exposed to the deep dish pizza. Deep sure. deep dish pizza is, is awesome, it, but I agree. It's almost like that that becomes like, a, you know, a meal. It's like. Uh, it's own, it's, its own thing. So. Yeah,
2: I like it, but to me, it's 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 a different experience to what I normally think of
1: as pizza. Yeah. So if I had mm-hmm. to go with one ingredient on the pizza, it might be weird.
0: Oh, it's mushrooms. I just mm-hmm. love a mushroom mm-hmm. pizza. Yeah. I do love mushrooms. I really do. Yeah. I. That's not weird. I have, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I have a I have a question for you because this is
2: a um, this is a topic that has we've we've come across a couple times here at the at the Starman offices. Um, Twizzlers or red vines? Oh.
0: Uh Twizzlers or red vines? Oh, I see. So, this is a hard one for me. Yeah. Because and a lot of people this is might be controversial too. Definitely. I don't really like uh I'm not a big candy guy. Ooh, like yeah. I'm a savory. I'm a savory guy. Uh, I like meats and <laughs> and things. So, like if you ask me if I want dessert, I'm going to like, can I have another cheeseburger, please? Sure. Right. <laughs> um, um, but in the battle between red vines and Twizzlers, red vines for, win for nostalgia purposes. Mm. Um, but if I'm at a movie, I'd rather have Twizzlers.
2: Interesting. Good answer.
1: Yeah. I think, was our office pretty well split or? It was pretty well split. Yeah. A, I was a it Twizzler, a Twizzler. Yeah.
2: I, I don't know. Did you Red upset Vines? upset a lot of people. Did Red Vines kind of, was that more of a West Coast thing? I'm not sure. Cause yeah, I, I don't know. Um, both Pete and I grew up in Massachusetts. So, um, yeah. And if you, if you chose Red Vines, I mean, that's wrong, but you know, <laughs> we can still be friends. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. No, I, uh, I yeah, uh, but but honestly, the the real answer is, uh, I don't know, an IPA. I think oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. <laughs> I think we can um, all agree with that. Yes, <laughs> I yeah, something, that's something we can all agree on, right? <laughs> right. You guys, um, let's see. Um, you guys have been both. You grew up on the East Coast, but you you are here on on the West Coast. I am I am in Portland. I am okay. also a West yeah. Coaster, a little different kind mm-hmm. of West Coaster, sure. but. <laughs> um d and i but i've been spending more and more time on the east coast and i i i found that like i don't know at least in my opinion i think i thought new york pizza was just mind-blowing i had one of the best pizzas ever that i've ever ever ate there um and i still think about it probably daily (laughs) um but i gotta say at least in portland we have a few spots that it's like I can scratch that itch if I need to, right. mm. but some people say it's impossible. What, it, what about down there in California?
2: Um, Mulberry street pizza is the closest I've come. Um, there's a few locations down here. Um, this one in Encino, I think one in Beverly Hills. Uh, that's the closest I've come to New York style pizza in LA. Cause there's a lot of terrible pizza. There's a lot of good pizza here, but there's a lot of terrible pizza in Los Angeles.
1: Well, there's one uh, place that, uh, oh. Right near, uh, oh. fairly close to our oh, office. Yeah. yeah, and but they they are actually Boston style pizza, sure. and they, they say that they actually use somehow that you know they get Boston water, whatever that is, <laughs> shipped in and mm-hmm. to make their crust to make their dough with, so that uh, you know um, that it's actually authentic. Well, and I do really like it. It is very yes. uh, thin crust. Um, it is good and tasty, tasty pizza. So um, I, I'd say uh you know what i miss from here even though it's not philadelphia but in massachusetts we had some really good places to get steak subs you know um mm-hmm. we didn't call them philly cheesesteaks
2: they were called grinders they were,
1: uh yeah <laughs> specifically where i went to it, the menu item was called the steak bomb and <laughs> <laughs> oh. i haven't i have not been able to find a, any equivalent out here to uh to uh, take care of the uh, steak bomb itch. so mm-hmm. <laughs> steak bomb—that sounds phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. That's all on that thing. That's yeah. the way it makes you feel. Too, it's after you eat it. You're like, oh, well, yeah, because it's, so it's like the shredded steak that that's grilled up, and then they put pepperoni in. Uh, so you get the the you know the the bun with the, the little you know what is that cornmeal or something? Oh yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And then so you put the steak in uh, the cheese on the side to get the steak in. Then there's pepperoni, slices of pepperoni that are um, put down the middle, and then cheese in that. Uh, or maybe even pastrami and cheese. But anyway, so it's, it's all those things. And then you throw some green peppers and mushrooms in there as well. And uh, it's really, really tasty. Steak bomb. Yeah, steak bomb.
0: Oh, man. That sounds so, <laughs> so good right now. I'm so hungry. Oh, this podcast, doing this podcast always makes me hungry. Oh, man. So good. Well, all right, guys, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. We're kind of right there at that hour mark. And thanks for uh, having us. Sure. Absolutely. Um, man, it was, it was a real, it was a real treat. I, I enjoyed it. And it yeah. was a, it was nice to get some insight. There's a lot of speculation sometimes and, and nobody, and it's nice to hear it kind of straight from the horse's mouth type situation. Very so sweet. Very good. Cool. But if uh, there's anything else, this is your, this is your chance to throw up a, a billboard, uh, where can people find you? What, what do you want to say? You want to tell your mom you love her? Whatever you, whatever it is, this is your guys' opportunity. I'm looking at the marketing guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, we, we uh, I, I guess I would just want to reiterate um, a little bit what I said earlier about, you know, we do listen to uh, everybody that, that uses our gear and posts it online. We listen to that and we always enjoy hearing that kind of stuff. So keep doing it. That's, that's that's all I gotta say. And hi, mom. I okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, just yeah. My thanks, mom. thanks for the support. And, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: for sure. And hi, mom.
0: <laughs> and my mom does listen, so hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, for Ethan and Pete, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck in good tones. It's kind of a funny thing with this podcast. There's a. Sort of a recurring theme that has happened almost with every company I talk to. When I got contacted by Strymon for the interview, I thought, oh yeah, this is kind of a, a bigger operation, there's going to be, you know, a lot more layers to it and a lot more sort of red tape in the corporate sense. And no matter what, it seems like, without fail almost, that everything is much smaller than it seems outside looking in some of these corporations and companies can feel like these big entities and these big like I don't know um almost overwhelming conglomerate type things and it's it's not that at all almost almost 100% of the time it's much smaller some of them are are large but it's it's not as large as what you think um it's not what you think maybe coming from like I don't know, uh, another sort of technology company, like a computer corporation or IBM or something. Like every Everyone knows it's smaller, but I don't think everyone knows how much smaller and more condensed these things are. And Talking to Strymon, it was very clear that this is no exception. They're doing great. They're doing amazing things in the industry. They have a lot of technology behind them and a lot of ideas, but they are still gear nerds like the rest of us, which is nice to know because uh, we want to... You know, support the community, support our kind, and it's it's a, it's a good thing that, fortunately, most everybody's chill, which is the best part of it all. So, could you do the most chill thing possible and just tell a friend about this podcast? You could share this with just one person. That would be fantastic. You could share it on Facebook. You could share it wherever you think people might be interested. That is phenomenal. And that helps so much. But if you could like sit down with your best gear buddy and just be like, yo, dude, we got this podcast over here and this guy is super annoying, but he talks to a lot of interesting people and and share it with that guy. At least at the bare minimum, you've ruined his day just as much as your day has been ruined right now. And (laughs) best case scenario, you've helped uh, this show continue on and get a new listener And hopefully, you know, we can keep doing this for forever. Hopefully. That's the goal. So thank you very much for tuning in. If you feel like it, I haven't asked for an iTunes review in a while. iTunes is still, despite the uh, player functionality not greatness, um, they're still the big dogs in the game as far as podcast goes. And a review helps a lot. So if you could leave an iTunes review, I'd really appreciate it and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Got really fun episodes coming up. Might even be acoustic guitars involved soon. I'm not promising anything, though. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, That will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and